Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello out there. This is Tina Horn, welcoming you back to Why Are People Into That? It's been such an exciting time for all of us at the Wire People Into That studios since we launched last January. We've been getting such enthusiastic and thoughtful feedback from our fans and listeners, and as we grow, we would love to hear from you. You can follow at Into That Podcast on Twitter and like us on Facebook and write a review on iTunes. It really does help us out, so if you like what you hear and you want to take a little time to do that, we would be ever so grateful. Speaking of the podcast continuing to grow, my guest for episode two is the esteemed Melina Williams, an educator and storyteller and self-proclaimed executive pervert. She's the author of Playing Well with Others, and that one's co-authored with Lee Harrington, as well as the Toy Bag Guide to Taboo Play, and she also has a spectacular chapter on role play in Tristan Terramino's anthology, The Ultimate Guide to Kink, which I love. I attended Melina's recent class here in New York City at the Lesbian Sex Mafia, and afterwards I, I just ran after her and I, I grabbed her on the street and I said, listen, you gotta be on my show and we've got to talk about role play. I personally have always loved role play and am perhaps quite well known for my satanic nuns and intergalactic sluts in some circles. Basically, even when it comes to sex, I'm just a big ol' ham, and it turns out so is Melina Williams. So she was generous enough to invite me over to her place, and we sat for two hours and talked about schoolgirls, and slaves, and ponies, and daddies, and, well, the conversation got so long that I just had to slice it into two bite-sized pieces. So you get a second helping of the podcast for February. I guess you could think of it as my Valentine's Day gift to you. It's true, I am a hopeless romantic, or maybe sometimes a little bit more of a hopeless bromantic, but you get the idea. Okay, all you naughty secretaries and sadistic doctors, I know you just can't wait a moment longer to listen to episode two. So here goes. Why are people into roleplay? Everybody, um, I'm Dina Horn, and I'm here with Melina Williams, who's happy to into or introduce herself. And yes, here we are in Queens on a rainy, dismal, disgusting January day, dismal. 2014. But it's sunny in my room, so it's awesome. It is. I was actually I'm admiring the it's like the inside of disposition. a mango. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So sweet. So many sweets all around. I know, too. and 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 all the snacks. Feel free to have a snack. Okay. If cool. you need one during the during If my the blood show. sugar drops. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Um so uh Melina is a super awesome uh educator, writer, all around well known, perverted, kinkster type. Right. Um and um and an actress a performer as well. Yes. Um and uh and storyteller because because nowadays you have to like break that out of your milieu. Yeah, it's not just writer and actress, it's right. storyteller, yes. as if that was not self-evident. Well, it's funny because the, the, the idea of people telling stories on stage as a thing that is done yeah. started really taking off. I think the moth was probably the, the moth, first yeah. national level event that you saw 
gaining traction and now you have you know the moth and the moth live and body storytelling sure. which is done by dixie de la tour on san francisco which i love and portrait storytelling and and kevin allison's podcast risk and um you know all these stories on npr they're yeah. amazing snap judgment um, and I'm naming these because I've also been on them, so I feel super extra cool. Yes, and also qualified. <laughs> <laughs> and basically the idea, the, the difference between, um, you know, writing and reading your writing aloud mm-hmm. and storytelling is that the, with the storytelling, you do it without notes. Correct. No notes. And the connection to the audience is really different. Yeah. And what I found interesting was that uh, when I first started teaching in the kink sort of environment, it was really soon after my coming out and, and very soon after my getting involved in kink. And I thought, I have no experience in this. Who's going to want to hear what I have to say? But the two women who were um, putting together a weekend retreat invited me to come and do an hour on my take on service. And I said, look, you guys, I've only been doing this real time for maybe a year. And they said, but your capacity to relate to people with your story is very strong. Yeah. And that's what people want to hear. And that was how I got into teaching was that I realized, wow, I can tell a story. I can tell you the story of my emotional journey. I can tell you the story of what I glean from that. And that really is at the core of what teaching is about. Especially with kink, because it's not a hard fucking science. No, it certainly isn't. You know, and there are some things about BDSM that are hard science. And there were plenty of classes on rope bondage and cutting and spanking and things that involve physiology. What happens to your blood vessels when you cane someone? Right, right. And endorphins and, oh, first aid and, you know, these things. But there wasn't, at the time when I was coming out to present, there were almost no people who identified as submissive. Mm. There were almost no... It was teaching. You know, right? There were almost no well, people. Teaching is is you know only tops only dominance, teaching, right? Because right. they are the ones that are in control, so right. therefore they are the only ones who have anything to learn or teach, right? And so I'm sitting there, and 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 I was bottoming for a rope bondage class that my that my my trainer was was doing, and people were raising their hands and asking me, well, how does that feel, and what do you think about when you're tied up, and isn't this boring for you? You know, and I'm fat, so then they had fat people going, wait, I can be suspended too, and they were amazed. Because they were told, and are still told, sadly, and to my chagrin, well, if you're overweight, you can't be suspended. It's too dangerous. It's too risky. Versus, hey, man, if you're if you're overweight, you really don't have a sexuality at and all. And you don't want to be naked in front of people, God forbid. No, no. Or wear fetish clothing, or get fucked, or beaten, or, or tied up, because that's just no, not that's how not we roll real thing, when no. we have roles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, I'm hilarious. So the fact that people were asking me questions and I was able to answer them coherently led me to believe, hey, you know what? Maybe there is something for us to talk about from the other side of the whip slash cane slash collar, whatever. And that was how I got involved in doing this. And interestingly, you know, um, one of the first classes that really took off was my class on doing play around uh, racial taboos Mm. and ethnicity and things that were so far off the beaten track that it pissed off perverts. You know, Gotta when you have that. well, when you have kinky people like freaks who are going, I might tie up my boyfriend and light his balls on fire while he's hanging from flesh hooks, but you pretending to be Aunt Jemima and scrubbing the floors and talking about I don't know nothing about birthing no babies while some white man beats your ass is wrong and you need to be put away. And I dealt with a couple of years of really intense shame and fuckery and threats. And nastiness from a lot of people online, real time, in my face. It was rather incredible. But what that led me to believe was this really needs to be discussed. Yeah. And so I was like, and okay. You're, and you're the pervert to do it. I'm on it. I'm on point. I'm <laughs> on point getting my face blown off a lot. But um, the difference between this discussion as it was happening in the late 90s and how it's happening now is vast. And people are giving themselves permission to do a lot of play that previously was seen as really taboo and way off the chart. And that, to me, is what's very important about kink, is the root of it is, you know, first and foremost, of course, consent. Right after that is follow your bliss regardless. Yeah. You know, once you're talking about consenting adults doing shit and you're judging your kinks and you're judging your fantasies, the hell are we doing? What are we doing? Well, <laughs> no, I really appreciate that, and, and I, I'm really glad to 
to have, to have you open with that perspective since this show is is about the why, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's plenty of information out there um, uh, about the, the what and the who and, and, and everything else mm-hmm. and, and, and also about the how, right. um, but what has always interested me is the psychological components mm-hmm. of of kink and the, and really what that comes down to is the human stories behind it, bringing right. it all back home to what we were initially talking about that, um, that storytelling is a huge part of kinky sex. Yeah. And, uh, in particular about our subject today, which is role play. See how I did that? Well played. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I have, I have you to thank, um, but, uh, but yeah, so um, so today we're going to talk about why are people into role play, um, and I've definitely read um, some of your essays on the subject before, and they're always in an anthology. That's always the first one that I'm going to turn to um, because um, you know I like you have a theater background and a, and a writing and storytelling background. So um, uh, when I started to get turned out as a kinkster, I, you know, I was always like, cool, cool, yeah, I'll learn how to tie those knots, but what I really want to do mm-hmm. is, like, the dirty talk and the fucked up scenarios, like, yeah. I want to be the babysitter, I want to be the, like, alien, I want to be the, you know, all the fucked up depraved things, mm-hmm. like, that's, that's what gets my blood boiling and, um, and what I, what I'm uh, attracted to, what turns me on, um, how I tend to find people that I jive with to play with and to, uh, and to fuck, but also just the kinds of communities that I want to be around are not only people who like to bring storytelling and role play into their scenes, but also people who are ready to laugh about (laughs) those scenes and people who are ready to push the envelope and go into stuff that is really taboo, even to, the people who are like, no, like we're perverts and, and this is what it means to be perverted, but don't push the envelope because right. not like, you know, the, the, I don't really understand like what the point of bringing fundamentalism into something like a kink. You know what? I, I think the point is, uh, that when people are still finding their own feet, yeah. the othering, the, I'm not as bad as right. feels really good for a lot of people. There's a comfort in saying, well, I'm doing this, but I'm not as bad as those people over there. Right. Because they still haven't let go of the idea that there's a hierarchy of, of wickedness or evil or perversion. Well, I also think people are, are traumatized even in little ways by having had other people yeah. having had the popular kids be like, you're the freaks. Yeah. And so the freak is like, okay, well I'm a freak, but now I'm going to point my finger at these other people and say, like, compared to me, these people are the freaks. So yeah. I'm safe yeah. here. And of course no one is safe. No one is safe when people are pointing fingers. It's an illusion and it's ultimately harmful because it ghettoizes mm. our communities, you know, and there's still, and I talk about this when I do my classes on, on taboo, Part of the reason people role play is so that they can relieve themselves of responsibility for the act that they're committing. Right. And that's a fundamental number one reason. It's not me smearing chicken grease all over you. It's Bongo the evil clown. <laughs> so it's cool. <laughs> I do have a, I do have a hard limit about clowns, by the way. So that's about as much that's about as much clown talk as I can take. Uh, but just just so we're just so we're clear. All right, I will respect that boundary. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, if you have any if you have any boundaries you want to let me know about, that would be good. For me, it's definitely clowns. Um, but uh, well, let's backtrack a little bit and um, and let's talk about. Um, you know, uh, you, you touched on, uh, on it, uh, just there, like mm-hmm. what is the appeal of, of role play? So what, why are people into role play? You know, what, what could possibly be the benefit of, of two people, um, having sex or doing a kinky scene? Um, you know, they're, they're fucking, they're sucking, they're beating each other, they're tying each other up, you know, but what, what is the point of giving it a different context of giving characters, mm-hmm. of giving roles, of giving scenarios, you know, what is, what does that do that the actions that they're actually doing mm-hmm. doesn't already do for those people? I think the first thing is permission, as I just said. It gives you permission, especially if you are newer, or you are new to an activity, yeah. or you are new to accepting something about yourself. If you can put on a mask 
and say, this is not me. This is my shadow self. This is my darker aspect. This is my inner serial killer. You know, this is my inner bad guy, or this is my inner victim because we eschew victimization as much as we eschew, you know, predatory behavior. Absolutely. Really. And so the idea that I can willingly accept what looks like horrific behavior uh, where I have been taught as an independent, fierce, strong woman, there's no way I should crave dissolution or assault or rape. I can say, I don't want those things. However, however, the you know, schoolgirl that got caught smoking, mm-hmm. you know, does want that or has no choice. Right. She is outside of her control. She is helpless. She is defenseless. And whereas I might look on helpless defensiveness as something I don't want to embody, the character I'm playing can embody it. Right. Right. And so that gives you permission from all sides of the scenario, whether it's a bad guy, whether it's a good guy, whether it's the ambivalent person who doesn't know what they're going to do yeah. and, and could really go either way. You know, all of those scenarios are now available to you without self-judgment. Yeah. And so that's really liberating, you know, and you can do a lot of work to get to the point where you don't judge yourself or when you're playing, you can take a shortcut and say, it isn't me, you know? And I think that that shortcut is really helpful, especially when you are first starting a new activity that seems challenging to you. Yeah. Because if I feel like I want a thing that I have a problem with, now I have to sit there and process why do I want it? What don't I want? What boundaries do I have around it? Whereas if I'm like, you know what? My character, you know naughty schoolgirl doesn't think about much more than instant gratification. And so therefore she got busted doing this thing. And therefore these are the consequences she's going to pay. And then it has its own internal logic. Exactly. And you're using your imagination. Exactly. I think is an underrated sex organ. And that's, you know, and that was, that was actually nicely segued into my second point, which is make believe. Yeah. And pretend a lot of people, Uh, I'm an actor, so I've been pretending since I was four. I started performing in film and TV when I was a little kid. And so that boundary between what kids do and what grown-ups do never existed for me. Interesting. You know, so as a child, I was pretending alongside adults who were pretending. Right. And we were all pretending and making really good money doing it. And so at no point in my life was there a, oh, here's where you move past make-believe. Make-believe was an income source. Yeah. You know, and so as I grew up and was like, okay, you know, fuck actually being a movie star. I'm going to do theater because that's where the real artistic satisfaction is. Note to youthful self, stay in film and TV. (laughs) (laughs) But what's so great about it is that at no point in my development did I say, oh, that's weird. I don't want to pretend to be whatever. Yeah. You know, and so my first boyfriend and I, I mean, I started dating and fucking when I was like 15 or 16 and my first boyfriend, and I would have role play all the time. It was completely seamless. There was no point where it felt awkward to us because we were still kids. Yeah. Essentially. Sure. And I never outgrew that because as an actor, you know, let's pretend dot, dot, dot is the way you pick up every script. Yeah. And it's the way you build every set. But even people who aren't. Uh, performers or fiction makers, everybody consumes fiction, Mm -hmm. whether it's a book or a TV show or a movie or a play. Uh, It's a fundamental human truth that we like stories to be told to us that we know are not true. And Mm -hmm. many people, I I think it's fair to say most people, enjoy consuming fiction or witness, you know, or consuming fiction that um, represents a world that they wouldn't actually want to be a part of, right? Um, you know, even worlds that are very depraved or scary or violent or non-consensual, you know, horror films, you know, Law and Order. You know, there's a reason that these things are so popular. I mean, obviously, also Shakespeare. You know, if you want to talk about like fundamental stories and fictions that we know endure and consuming them though doesn't mean that you're necessarily prepared to build them yourself that's interesting and i think that what happens is that people are so used to being voyeurs in their own lives right that by the time you grab that agency by the short hairs and say hey you know what i'm going to tell the story now it's not going to be you know the wachowski saying here's the matrix it's going to be me saying i am fucking you know I am Morpheus. Right. Which pill are you going to take? Doesn't matter. I'm going to fuck you up the ass either way. 
a reward and a punishment simultaneously. <laughs> well, no, that's that's actually it's really interesting. So going back to the idea of, of erotic role play, um, we we might say that um, it, it, that that choosing to do a role play is an act of agency in the sense of not being a voyeur but being a creator. Correct. Being being creative, just being sexually creative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is what it really boils down to. It's being creative. It's giving yourself permission. It's transgressive, because as adults, and of course we are all talking to people eighteen and over. Absolutely. As adults, we are not necessarily given that permission all the time. That is and so true. that feels transgressive to say today I'm going to dress up like a pony, and trot around my living room eating some fucking carrots, and knowing that the assumption of the general public is only weirdos and freaks do that. Why would you do it? But when you talk to people, and I see this happening all the time on social media, the weirder and more off-kilter the stuff about myself I share, the more likes I get, the more people who will whisper to me, me too, the more people who come back and say, oh my gosh, I do that as well, or hey, where can I get some more resources on how to find the proper gear so that I can have cute little ears and awesome hooves so I too can trot around my living room and eat some fucking carrots. And so the idea that we are other if we have these desires and we want to play and we want to romp around our brains is actually false. And I'm not a huge conspiracy theorist, but I do believe that the the the, the outsourcing yeah. of our imagination to entertainment mm. sedates us, and it keeps us, for better or for worse, in a situation where we are consumers of pleasure versus producers or participants. And yeah. participating in producing your own pleasure is way fucking better. I can tell you, from having been on both sides of that coin, it's a lot better to be able to say, "This is my fantasy, and now I'm going to make it real," or this is my fantasy and I'm going to play it out without any guilt or remorse. And I'm going to masturbate to this all day and all night and not feel weird or bad about it. Unless of course you get turned on by feeling weird and bad, in which case that's super awesome. <laughs> but that's just, <laughs> own, that's its own context. That's its own context. I don't know. I, I don't know anybody with a guilt fetish per se. Um, I think every Catholic pervert, and and probably a whole lot of Jewish perverts too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I I I know that there are so many people for whom, especially role play around humiliation, is very sure. much about. It's tied into that feeling of 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 feeling quote unquote bad about what you've done. Sure, I mean, but with Jewish guilt, a Jewish guilt role play would be like being punished for doing a bad job, and a Catholic guilt role play would be punished <laughs> for being a bad person. That's definitely that's the difference between those two. Well, yeah, no, that, that's an, that's an interesting point. You know, your your conspiracy theory. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to be a conspiracy theory. It's just you know systems of oppression yeah, that are yeah. you know keeping people in control you know mm-hmm. it's uh it's a nice way to think about role play that it is a chance to liberate yeah. your imagination and to be a creative uh participant in uh in your own fantasy and your own story um i mean i was going to ask you what what do you think why do you think there are taboos at all? Why do you think... What is what is the source of these things that are telling us that we should... You know, wh- why are there people who are saying, well, it's okay to do this, but this is, like, way too transgressive? Yeah. Some of them... Some taboos are, so- are social. Some things you have to be taught. For example, um, any taboo around bodily functions. Mm. Little kids don't care. Right. They will reach into their diaper and smear poop all over the place and write on walls with it. And they are told by, by, by way of reactions from parents and other people that the worst thing you can possibly do. Right. Now, is there a reason for taboos around, around scatological play? Sure. Yeah. It does carry disease. Um, it is a risk. But lots of stuff are risky disease-carrying things. Right. right? And yet and still, when you look at any profile, any kink site, there's like three or four things that are almost always listed as limits. No kids, no scat, you know, no animals. And the thing is, having sex with kids is illegal everywhere. Having sex with animals is illegal in, I think, 38 states now. And having sex that involves poop is not illegal anywhere. Interesting. And so you have a situation where something that isn't illegal is lumped in with pedophilia and bestiality. And so you have people who have this particular desire who've now been socialized even out of the king community. 
you know, and the same thing happens when you talk about play that has to do with darker sexualized incest, for example. Right. The naughty schoolgirl thing, Britney Spears made $11 billion off of this. Absolutely. Right? No problem. And she with also that. she also did not invent that. No, she did not. I mean, you know, and neither did the whole, the Britney Spears media. Let's machine. roll back to Nabokov and Lolita. Sure. Let's roll back to every Greek myth about the innocent Vestal Virgin getting raped and pillaged by I don't know a swan, a bull, a tree, a wave, also known as God. Just yeah. you know, like moonlighting, fucking everything. Yeah, you know. So this is an ongoing. This is an ongoing, ongoing trope. However. You take that naughty schoolgirl getting spanked by the teacher, and now you have the teacher fucking her. Right. Well, it's a problem. Let's say now it's not the teacher, let's say it's daddy. Well, okay, disturbing, you know. If you're in a dungeon space and you see someone, and you see someone doing a, 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 a daddy little girl scene, and it's like, oh, you've been a bad girl, cool. The second daddy starts penetrating his quote-unquote daughter with his fingers, and she's screaming, no, please, daddy, don't, people are freaking out. Right. Freaking the fuck out. That taboo is very deep and very strong against uh, uh, sexual congress with, you know, people in the family, with incest and everything else. But also, again, that's not universally applied either. Those are learned. Yeah. Those are learned and taught. You know, to some degree, it is it is ingrained in DNA. Diversifying the, the, the species is something that animals do. They tend to want to find different strains to mate with. Right. But in terms of us being freaked out by a little girl being spanked in the dungeon versus us thinking it is absolutely not okay for that same little girl to have a, an explicit sexual scene with her quote-unquote pretend daddy, that's moving onward to a place where people are viscerally bothered. And that taboo has been trained into us and it's bored into us. So it's a double whammy. And so there's lots of different reasons for people to have taboos, stuff that you've learned, stuff that you've taught, personal taboos as well. There's some stuff that I don't like that has nothing to do with anything else except my own stuff. Like my feeling about clones. Yeah, or my thing about like spitting or saliva or any bodily fluid once it has left the body. Mm. That's how specific it is. Like, you can kiss me, that's fine. Am I aware that there's saliva from your body entering my body? Yes. But if you spit in my mouth, I will cut you open. (laughs) Like which would release more bodily fluids. <laughs> which would release more bodily And then I would have to get the gloves, and then it becomes a whole Dexter thing. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, so it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense logically, but viscerally it makes a lot of sense. And yeah. that's what a lot of taboo is about. What hits you viscerally? This is the thing about role play that's really awesome, is that when you find the role play that appeals to you on a visceral level, you do not have to have props, costumes, setting, none of that matters. It's all happening up here in your head. Of course. And that's so badass. This is what I love about role plays. It's great to have the props and costumes. I love them. I can't get enough of them. Different times I've seen a thing and been like, oh my god, I have eight scenes I want to do with this thing. Yeah. But then there's also been times when I've leaned in my ear and said, you've been a very bad girl, and I've been like, excuse me while I scrape my genitals up off the floor. <laughs> Because that's how hot that shit is, and that's how evocative it is for me. Yeah. You know? And I and all of us have those little buttons in there, and roleplay allows someone else to push them for you when you uh, give yourself permission, right? Yeah. I mean, it's. I think it's important to go back to what you said earlier, that all of this is about consent, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. The, you know, the daddy-girl incest fucking beating role play that you were describing is happening between two consenting adults. Right. The charge is there presumably for the people who are playing and also for the people who are observing because of the taboo. Right. But the, the the charge and the thing that makes people recoil with disgust or concern is the same has the same origin as the sexual charge for the people who are choosing and consenting right. to participate in it with, in it with one another. So, you know, hopefully hopefully anybody who would know what the difference is in themselves with something that they don't want to even witness mm-hmm. in a in a dungeon would would be able to take responsibility and say I'm going to remove myself because I know that these two people are consenting to play right. with to play with fire in this way, I don't want to see that fire, so I'm going to remove myself. Unfortunately, some people are like, no, 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 put the fire out. I don't like it, so nobody else is allowed to enjoy it. Exactly. I'm enjoying my fire over here, but you can enjoy your fire over exactly. there. Exactly. And that's that was something I ran into when I started even talking about 
doing role play around racial stuff. Yeah. Because people uh, did not think it should even be spoken about because it was that dangerous. Because of my capacity to empathize, I would turn back to them and I would say, I absolutely agree with you. Talking about this is very dangerous and it's very risky. And I don't do this uh, this type of play as a lark on a Thursday afternoon. Right. You know, my opinion of doing anything that involves an aspect of who I truly am. Right. Is to treat it with as much respect and reverence as I would my deepest, darkest secret. And that's another thing about role play is that role play can have nothing to do with who you are. Right. Or it can be intrinsically about who you are. Uh, there's a difference between, you know, as an actor, if I do a solo show and I'm telling you about my life, I'm performing, but it's closer to the bone than me playing Lady Macbeth. Right. I will find myself in Lady Macbeth. I will find Lady Macbeth in me. I will merge the two, you know, because this is my approach, is to say, who would Melina be if she were Lady Macbeth? This is the script that I have to follow as Melina. How do I justify doing what she did? And in a role play, if I'm pretending to be Joan of Arc, who's about to be burned at the stake, I know her history. I can say, I'm going to put myself in that position. I can have a great burned at the stake scene. Right. Or I can say, I am Melina being burned at the stake for her transgression of, you know, adultery, incest, whatever. Didn't feed the cat. (laughs) Which, you know, I was like, I haven't really incested or adulteried. I have forgotten to feed cats, though. And for that, you shall burn, you know. And so, <laughs> and so if that's your role play, you can inhabit that very fully, but that puts a lot more of you on the line. Right. And this is the thing about doing those role plays is when you're doing something that has to do with you, when it has to do with your humanity, who you are, if someone who is trans is doing role play around a trans bashing, if someone who is gay is doing a queer bashing role play, if someone who is a survivor is doing a rape fantasy. Those are really, really, really real. And, I mean, if you're a woman, then any fantasy that you're doing that involves anything uh, remotely involving non-consent is going Correct. to be connected to the trauma that you've experienced from just being a marginalized gender in this society, right? So really, any... Even, even a naughty schoolgirl roleplay has that element of, you know... If you are a woman and you are playing at being a naughty schoolgirl, there was a time when you were that age Mm -hmm. and you had to deal with all of the bullshit that society was putting on you about being a girl. For people who were raised as men in this society, being submissive at all. Right, of course. Is is another, you know, deeply intrinsic taboo. Right. So them doing a, 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 a role play where they have lost control. Well, they're mocked or ridiculed. You know, it was funny because someone said to me at one point, they were like, oh, well, there's some people who can't do any oppressive role play from the bottom. Like, how could any white man ever know what it's like? And I said, well, they can't know what it's like for me, but they can know what it's like to have someone who genuinely hates who they are. Yeah. And use their power against them for that powerful hatred. Yeah, I mean, also sometimes that's so absurd because sometimes you're drawing from One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Experiences that you've had when you're doing a role play Mm -hmm. and sometimes you're putting yourself in the scene and and trying to be as emotionally honest in your reaction and especially if it is more extreme um even when you know that it's not real if somebody's getting up in your face and saying you're a worthless little worm um you know even if you have never had any experiences of being oppressed whatsoever uh you know you start to feel it when somebody is up in your face saying those things to you I, I hope that they do. I, I think that most people do. Yes. Some people, obviously, there's some people who are going to be just, you know, la la. I don't care. Do 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 do. But uh, I'll compare it to. I saw this. I have a not at all secret, but really sort of terrible uh, addiction to prison shows and mm. and not like Orange Is New Black, but like like Oz. Like no, like Lock Up and Lockdown and and Lock Up Raw. Like where they go and they shoot in prisons and they interview. Oh, I see. Like inmates. reality shows. Yes. Yeah. And they had a bunch of ones that were scared straight. And they had these kids who had done... Some of them had done some really grim shit. 
and they bring them into jail, quote unquote, and they're supposed to experience what it's like. Now, the problem is these kids cannot be pepper sprayed. In some cases, they can't be touched. Mm. So in real jail, if you roll your eyes at a prison guard and walk away and refuse to go in your cell, you're going in your cell. Yeah. But in these scare street programs, there's only so much that the, that the officers can do. Right. So you're assuming that like these, some of these kids are so hardcore, they're just going to flip, flip off the guard and go away. I can't tell you time after time after time. I've seen these kids, hardened street kids who come in with the attitude. They are just shut down and frozen because they've survived to that age on the street, literally. Sure. So you know that they have some skills. Yeah. And these guards are used to dealing with murderers, rapists, convicts, gangbangers, thugs, all sorts of criminals. So just with the force of their rage and their barely contained energy, they're able to reduce these kids, hard kids, to tears. And you see this over and over and over again, and I think to myself, wow, that is a very, that's a very powerful statement. This is how powerful words and intention can be. Because you have people who are, sure, they're young, and yes, you could argue that that's part of it, but I would also say they have lived more than the average person will see in a lifetime. And if someone in their face screaming at them for 24 hours can really peel back even just one layer to the point where they're now vulnerable, what can we do when we are now doing this sort of role play in a consensual way we were inviting in that kind of energy and specifically saying, it scares me, but I'm going to do it anyway. And incorporating not only the the trust and potentially the fun of mm-hmm. playing with somebody that you that you know, but also the sex. Yeah. Because that, that can really, you know, solve, you know, your your gaping wounds <laughs> of of so terror, to speak. so to speak, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, because it's a little bit like you were talking about it being risky and it being dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. So, so why why do we do risky, dangerous things because of a reward, yeah. right? So it turns you on, right? And it's 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 funny because my brain does this thing like every few months if I don't play, if I'm not engaged, and I'm like, am I really a pervert? Maybe I just <laughs> did all that stuff. And now I'm done. Maybe mm. that's why I'm not actively pursuing it because I'm not really that kinky or whatever. And then I'll do a scene and someone will be beating the crap out of me. And I'm like, I'm not enjoying this. This is just pissing me off. And now I'm pain and now I'm mad. And now da, 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 da. And suddenly I'm like, when? I'm totally wet. Totally wet. Who knew? Okay, I guess I'm a pervert. Oh, yay! <laughs> it all checks out. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of people who there's a lot of people who would be very very gratified to hear that coming from from you. Definitely one of one of the one of the most well known. Even even you have doubts. Oh my god! All the fucking time, yeah. all the time, because that's a problem when you live in the moment and you invest in the moment. Is that like this moment might be true, but what about all this other stuff that happened before? And one of the things I really love about role play is that it allows me to test that out without necessarily putting myself on the line first. Yeah. And it can be simple and organic, or it can be incredibly elaborate. It has all of those different aspects to it. Um, and I'll tell you, honestly, when I first got involved in the scene, I was like, role play is some bullshit, not going to do it. I'm an actor. Why the hell would I bother wanting to pretend? I don't need that extra layer. That's just for people who are really jaded and bored, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then, of course, you know, what is one of the first role plays I do is role play around racial stuff. Now, uh, mind you, that's like a 50-50, because if I'm doing a role play where I'm being the oppressed black person, that's my actual life. Right. Um, the why in that, of course, you know, because that's a big question, why would you do that? Because so many people say, if that's your life, what is hot about pretending to do it? Why would you reenact that? And I say, because I have control over it. I have zero control over me being on the bus, for example, as happened last month. And some woman in front of me having this insane conversation about how now she was leery of all black men because she saw this black guy do some fucked up shit on the subway. And she's going on and on. And I'm leaning around the seat looking at her like, hello, black person here. You don't even give one fuck, do you? Yeah. You don't even care. Because you're completely justified. Well, he did that thing. And so now, of course, of course now I'm nervous about black men. Why wouldn't I be? That's no more reaction. I'm not racist. I'm just practical. I'm not racist, but... Ah, that cartoon. Like, the cartoon sh- that... I'm, the, I'm not racist, but... Ever. Nothing good ever comes after that. Yeah. <laughs> 
And so I have no control over that. And the thing is, this is what I try to explain to white people <laughs> when they don't get it. I'm like, this is my life all the time. Right. This is not something that happens once every decade and I'm shocked and horrified and I run to someone and they pet me and tell me it's okay. It's all the time. It's everywhere all the time. And it's very stressful. In the case where I do a scene, I can clear out a space and say, this is my space I am in charge of it. And so now we're going to run a little lab. What happens yeah. when I hear these words, when this bad thing happens, when I have this negative energy thrown at me, but in my core, I know that the person who's doing this to me at the end will reconnect and come back. Not that they're okay. And that I believe that they are pure and free of racism because no one is. No. They cannot be pure and free of bigotry because those are human things. Yeah. We have evolved to use them, and sometimes they are positive and helpful, and a lot of times they aren't. But the fact is, is that I get to decide when the scene begins and ends. I get to decide what is and is not said to me, and I get to call the shots in terms of what that person has to do to bring me back to stasis where I'm cool. And you know that, that, that there's a mutual respect between Correct. you and the person that you're playing with. Right. Yeah, I mean, I feel that way about being female, you know, it's very, very, very fucking stressful mm -hmm. to be female um, in a, a lot of ways uh, every day. And so, you know, being uh, acting out the things that I wouldn't want to happen to me in real life in the context of something sexual um, with somebody who I know respects me, mm -hmm. um, it's, I mean, we could, we can analyze it and we can try to explain it, but the truth is, is that I know that it turns me on and it also <laughs> makes, and then it also, and then it also makes me feel better about those things and it makes me feel more in control of them because I've run that lab, as you put it. Correct. You know, once you've done that experiment, the next time it happens to you, because it will happen again, you can step back and say, whew. I'm having a reaction to this person's action. Yeah. I'm going to choose today to not pour as much energy as I did into my reaction this time. I feel like it also teaches me to see petty power plays for what it is. Yeah. You know, I, I, I feel like since doing a lot of this kind of play, um, it's a lot harder to intimidate me mm -hmm. because I'm like, Oh, it's a, petty intimidation tactic. Like, yeah. I saw that coming a mile away because that is what I would use, like, in a scene where I was, where I was like, stomping on somebody in my stiletto boots. So, like, nobody around here is wearing stiletto boots right now. Yeah. So you're just being ridiculous. Yeah. And it's all of a sudden you get to take that extreme, you know, from the outside, it may look ridiculous for you to be stomping on somebody in, in stiletto boots, but then you can take that ridiculous ridiculousness and apply it to the everyday ridiculousness of being alive yeah. in the modern world yep. and being human. And it's, it's, in my opinion, it's liberating and it doesn't cure you of having those feelings, but what it has done for me is enable me to, um, parse them yeah. and see them for what they are and allow myself to have them without judging myself for them, without raging, without tripping, without freaking out. And that, again, is more freedom, you know? And anything that gives me freedom to enjoy my life, I'm all over it. Yeah. Freedom from guilt, you know, some of the more twisted, fucked-up fantasies that I've had that I would previously have sat there and gone, oh, my God, what's wrong with you? I just sort of now, I'm like, hey, let's see if there's any porn about this on the internet. <laughs> la, 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 la. And there and is. There always there is. There always is. <laughs> well, you know, and then there is something, there is something very sweet about that, that, um, that somebody else has had that impulse. And again, going back to the context of consent, you know, within fantasy, within consenting adults, mm -hmm. you know, if people want to produce, you know, uh, videos of those scenarios or produce writing of those scenarios like that too is a way of getting it out and getting it out there yeah yeah and it's fantastic and it's liberating and it's great and it's awesome and that's part of the reason why i feel like role play is helpful because if you can role play something that you see as edgy then that's a little bit more guilt that you've released and you're probably then able to enjoy sex more yeah you're probably able to open up to your partner more you know, if you can say to your partner, hey, let's pretend, da, 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 
And I'm not going to tell you it's easy. You know, I just recently started seeing a new person and we're like, uh, we're doing sexy times. And the first time we hooked up, I was like, oh my God, I really want to do a daddy girl thing with this guy. But I just met him. He's going to freak out. He doesn't know a lot about the kink thing. Yeah. He's had kinky fantasies for his entire whole life, but this is his first two-purpose kink interaction. And I don't want to like pull out, pull open the box and be like, here's some of the darkest shit there is. Right. Uh, let's play with that. So like three more, like I swear to God, like three times of us, you know, playing, it took me to finally be like, um, <sighs> so you know how Teddy girl, Teddy girl. <laughs> so when people ask me like, Oh, well, isn't it easy for you to, I'm like, no, no, it's not easy for me to bring this up. No. So do not think that because you are new and you have a trouble, you have problems with it, that, that, that it will, <laughs> that it gets better. Like I never tell people, like, this is not something that gets easier with time. Yeah. It's as difficult. But the thing is that it's so rewarding because if you don't say anything, you are greatly reducing your chances of having that desire met. Because maybe the other person will step forward too. But if you're having a hard time, chances are they're having a hard time as well. Also, it's not going anywhere. No. You try to stuff it away. It's just going to, it's going to turn into something darker. So get it out now while (laughs) while you can recognize what kind of monster it is. Because the more you stuff it down there, going back to guilt, the more you stuff it down, the more it's going to mutate. And then you're going to be like, I don't even know what role play will accommodate this beast too many things. Now you have to import like special goats from overseas. Oh my god. <laughs> special special daggers to sacrifice them. Well, so what is what are some good things to talk about when negotiating a role play, regardless of what it is? What do you think are some good places to start, whether it's somebody new that you're dating, like what you're describing, or you want to try role play with, you know, with your partner, you know, that you have never done role play with one another before? Uh, One of the, this goes back to storytelling. Again, one of the greatest tools I believe for negotiation is telling someone a story. Yeah. Either a story of something that happened in your past or uh, a story that someone else has written that you share with them. Here is a book, uh, an anthology of hot fairy tales about kinky stuff. Or, ooh, look at this. You know, Laura Anthony, you wrote this thing about slaves. And wouldn't it be cool if we pretended that you were my slave? Someone has talked about it already. You know, is it Rule 34, I believe? That if there, if it exists, then there's someone's made porn of it. <laughs> um, find the porn. Yeah. And share that with the person if you are really shy about just saying, this is what I want to do. Or write the porn and post it on, anonymously or under a pseudonym and then say, look, babe, I found this on the internet. <laughs> look at this on Literotica. Where, again, if it exists, someone has written a Literotica story about it. Right. Right. So even for those of us who are very shy about opening our damn mouths, there are resources there's a post-it note. Yeah. You can write down your thing and hand it over and leave the room and then be like, call me when you read it. <laughs> okay, did you read it? <laughs> yeah, or but even, getting it out there is the first step. And, you know, it does occur to me that um, while I, a full acting out of the scenario um, is, you know, one of the potential places that role play can go, mm-hmm. role play can be storytelling to one another yeah. while getting hot and heavy or while you're in the car and you're really bored and you want to make each other hot and heavy while you're on a really long road trip, you know, what, whatever you can, you might be more willing to sort of, uh, ad lib or improvise a script and go places that you might not be ready to go if the pressure is there of actually like being in the physical scenario. Exactly. Which is why talking about it makes it a lot easier. And you can talk about it like over coffee. You can talk about it while you're fucking. Yeah. You can talk about it while you're masturbating. You, you can talk about, about it over, like, te- over texting. Yeah, you yeah. can like both get in, squeeze into a tub and turn <laughs> off the lights and be like, okay, it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever that makes you comfortable. This is the thing is that you have to feel comfortable about it because if you are presenting a fantasy to someone else and you're tentative and scared, yeah. that's going to impact their, um, their, their, their absorption of it. Right. 
uh, they're going to feel tentative and scared as well. And they might not want to jump in with you because they're thinking, well, if they're scared to tell me, what's going to happen if we do it? Are they going to think I'm some evil person? Are they going to think I'm some sort of weak person? Are they going to think I'm a freak? And then the gears start going. Yeah. So whatever means of presenting that idea to your partner or partners, if you are a poly, Absolutely. You know, um, whatever whatever your presentation style is, find the best one for you and then exploit that. Tell the story, read the book, give the post-it, do the, like, circle jerk masturbation where you are, like, you know, throwing down, like, popcorn! Who's gonna get game raped up the ass first? Who's the baby? It's my turn! <laughs> you know, whatever that method is, what's super cool about that is that if you're coming from a place where you're feeling good about it, that also gives your partner uh, or, or partners permission to also feel good about it, you know. And then you have to decide, <coughs> excuse me, and then you have to decide how much of it you really need. It could be, and this happens a lot, you tell the dirty story and you jerk off and that's great. Yeah. And that's it. Nothing wrong with that. And for some, in some instances, it's because the dirty story or the nasty fantasy is not feasible. Right. It is flagrantly illegal or it is physically impossible physically like impossible fucked on the ceiling like right yeah. you know or you're like i want to have sex with these five horses it's like well we only have two <laughs> and only one of them consented and they, why, yes you know one of them consented and we're gonna have to go over to florida where it's still okay to fuck animals you know whichever state there is because it's not illegal everywhere um, I had this off the top of my head at one point, which states were and which states weren't, but I have a slippery useful, brain. Useful information yes, to know. Yes, which is, people like, what? It's still legal? I'm like, oh yes, it's not legal everywhere. It was only recently made legal in whatever state that poor bastard died in from having sex with the horse and then it slipped and ruptured his insides. Um, but I digress. So there are things, as I'm saying, that just aren't feasible or aren't legal. And for those things, even the capacity to just lie there and have that hot, sexy fantasy about the threesome with you and Jabba the Hutt and three gamma ray and guards, fantastic. Well, could that happen? Sure. You could find someone with the suit and you could sneak into, you know, ILM and make this happen. Right. But the reality is drag, pain in the ass. So, but jerking off to the story and whispering it to your lover can be just as satisfying because that fantasy is now running in the movie in your head. Right. And so for a lot of fantasies, even just getting it out there is more than sufficient. That is fulfillment. Let us look at the fact that fantasy fulfillment, role play fulfillment comes at many different places. Saying it out loud is for a lot of people very common. And I hear this so much from people who are professional dominance. Yeah. Where clients, quote unquote clients, would be clients will call in talk about what they want to do and never show up. Oh yeah. Because talking about what they want to do is such a big deal for them because they've been so hidden and so repressed. That's all they need. Right. You know, that's why phone sex is still such a big fucking business. Just for the record, don't call a professional and negotiate with them and then not show up. There are people that you can talk to on the phone. Night and pay them for that. Pay them for their time. Don't don't do that. Night for is great for that. And you can jerk off with them. And yep. they will give you exactly the jerk off fantasy you want, you know. Uh, so that's really great. So you have that option there. If you decide, okay, yes, I do want to actually make this real, as in real time, as in real people, as in in the flesh, what does that entail? You then have to think about what the reality is of making that fantasy happen. You might have a hot fantasy of doing a gangbang, but what are you going to do when it comes to finding potential gangbang partners, who is okay and who isn't. Right. How are you going to deal with STD testing? How are you right. going to deal with safer sex? How are you going to deal with privacy issues? Blah, 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 all these things. So the next step, if you are then talking about negotiating, actually making the fantasy happen, is getting the buy-in of the person or people involved. Right. Uh, and taking your time. This is the thing I tell people when they talk about, like, oh, and I have this really hot role play. I want to be like, great, take your time. Mm. Because it's not going anywhere. It's not going to go anywhere. Uh, and sometimes people will put together the fantasy and make it all happen and then go, you know what? This was way hotter in my head. Yeah. Because the reality of a triple penetration is not necessarily as hot as when you watch it on a porn movie because those people are sexual athletes. Right. And most of us are not. That's right. And, uh, so you might get those three people on there and then you have a sweaty, greasy, stinky pile and you're like, oh, this was not... 
My what neck I, hurts. Not what I saw in my fantasy, and you know, and you've been fucking for four hours, and you haven't come, and you came in thirty seconds, and you're dry, and you're too wet, and you're farted in the face, and <laughs> God, you're like whatever's going on for you, and now you're like, I should have just jerked off this fantasy, right? You know, which is why I encourage people to take their time, right? Because uh, once you have made it real, you might not want to jerk off to it anymore. You know, there's some things that I I fantasize about that I won't ever want to do because they're not feasible. Because the reality is that once I have sort of run that routine in my head, I'm like, you know what actually is hot as an anonymous gangbang in the back of the bar sounds? The real risk is too high. Right. And so how could I come close to that, so to speak, without actually going to the back of a bar and putting a sign on the stall of a bathroom being like, come in and fuck me? Well, I could do that at a party. Right. Where the people could be screened. Right. And I know that they'd be hot. Yeah. And that they would use protection, blah, 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 all these things. Right. So, um, taking your time when you are negotiating, this is, is the next biggest piece of advice. Um, and then also bouncing your ideas off of someone else, either your partner or a good friend, talking to them about what you want, because I'm a great believer in manifesting your wishes. And if you are wishy-washy or uncertain about exactly why, you know, you don't talk about why you're doing something. The why for these sorts of things, for role-playing and fantasies, is very important. And make sure that everyone involved is on the same page with the why. Yeah. Because if I am doing a rape fantasy, the why is going to be very different if I'm a survivor versus if I am not. Right. And the why is going to be very different if you are uh, bottoming to someone in that rape fantasy who is a perpetrator. Right. And are you going to know that? And can you trust that information? When you start thinking about those things in those terms... Hopefully, that will give you some pause. And at that point, you can say, oh, okay, right. Why am I doing this? Because the why informs the other people that you're playing with. If I'm doing a scene around uh, something that's very emotionally abusive, and I'm doing it because I think that type of abuse is hilarious, that's going to be a different scene for the top than the type of scene where I think that type of abuse is the worst thing you can do to another human being. The energy I give that person back is going to be very different. And I tell you, for all the thing that people, or things that people say about how much tops have power and, 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 and how, much, uh, how strong they have to be in these scenes, some of the most vulnerable and, and uh, dodgiest reactions I've seen after role plays have come from the people who are the perps. Right. Who've been either left in the lurch in that perp headspace right. and not been bought back or had the sensation that they were actually terrible people right? because a lot of really dark energy comes up. Are you prepared as the person who is the top in that scene to come back? And are you prepared as the bottom in that scene to help bring that person back? What are some good ways to bring one another and bring ourselves back from those edgy places are really, you know, even if a scene is relatively mm-hmm. innocuous, um, re- how to bring ourselves back to the real world when yeah. the, the, the curtain, the curtain falls and the lights go up. One of the, the two things that I first and foremost recommend, whatever your form of aftercare is, my definition of aftercare is just what happens after the scene. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean there's a blanket and Fiji water at, you know, 68 degrees right. and red velvet cupcakes, although that's awesome. But for some people, aftercare is a handshake and, you know, Heidi hence. Yeah. And so for role play, I think it's very important to be able to make eye contact and physical contact again with the person that you've been doing the scene with. And if you can't, because that is a really real reality for some very intense role plays, you do not want to look at or touch the person you just did this horrible shit to or who did horrible shit to you is have aftercare buddies. Mm. And I've done a couple of scenes that were um, very intense. And prior to those scenes, because I knew they were going to be intense, I found someone to help out the top in the scene, and I found someone else to help me. And so these other people observe the scene. That's what that's what friends are for. Yeah, that's and what then, the community is for. And then after the scene was over, they you know sort of called us each to our respective corners because I did not want to look at this motherfucker. I was like, get him the fuck out of here. And he's tripping out because he's, you know, sensitive new age guy (laughs) and had just done horrible things to me. And he was like, I'm a terrible person. And they were able to pet him and go, no, you're okay. It's cool. You agreed to it. It was totally consensual. Remember? Yeah. Um, and what, what is the benefit of doing these things that, that puts us in these positions where we need 
friends to remind us that we're not terrible people. I mean, what, just to play devil's advocate, obviously, you yeah. know what I think, but but uh, just to play devil's advocate, you know, why why do why do these things? What yeah. are the what are the what are the potential obviously there's no guarantees, yeah. but what are the potential benefits? The, to me, the first benefit is that we don't get to do this anywhere else. Yeah. You have to be nice and polite everywhere else. You know why road rage is a thing? Is because people aren't running out into the woods and clubbing deer and dragging them home and roasting that shit for dinner. You know, we have millions of years of evolution that is being squashed. We have impulses that we are told are not okay. And so having the permission to get really cruel and evil or having the permission to be an abused victim and just revel in that abuse is not something that we get every day. And so first and foremost, release. Yeah. It's straight up just release. You get to scream and kick and cry and, and growl and bite and do all those things you're not allowed to do. Um, the second thing is trust. I don't trust people very easily, you know, uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, it takes a long time for me to get to trust you. There are people I trust instantly because my gut instinct is pretty fucking strong. And so there are people who I can know for 20 years and I will never trust. Yeah. And there are people I can look at on the subway and I would give them the keys to my house. You know? Um, and so having a situation where we have together gone through an ordeal builds a bond that's really unique. And when the ordeal is at the hands of someone else who I know cares about me, and, it, you know, for example, in this past case where this friend beat the crap out of me, the point of the scene was to get me to safe word. And safe wording is just not a thing I do. Yeah. And so, you know, he had to do some really awful shit. And then by the time the scene was done, he was like, I just did some really awful shit. And that's outside of his play style. He's sadistic, but not, um, not cruel like that. Yeah. His point is to not have people safe word. There's lots of scenes where they're like, I want to get you to where you think you're about to, but then you don't that fine playing of the violin of, you know, oh, are you going to safe word or not? And this was like, no, you, the scene will go on until I safe word. But the, but the layers of context are such that actually this person is being caring and trustworthy to mm -hmm. you by giving you the thing that you are asking for, which happens to be out of context being pushed to the point where you where you really say no not yes. like no 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 but Correct. actually no actually Correct. safe word no and so in a way that 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 is how they're showing you the most care that they possibly can mm -hmm. because that's a need that you have that you're asking somebody to fulfill right. for you right right and you're human and you have agency and you're allowed to want that and ask for it and make it happen and 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 it was interesting because uh it turned out to be as challenging for him as it was for me in its own way. Yeah. You know, and that's another benefit that you get, I feel, from doing these types of role plays is you get the chance to push yourself in a way that daily life might not push you. Yeah. Uh, and it's a grand experiment, I feel, and it feels really good to have survived it. When you have survived something, when you've gone through something, when you have had that adventure, when you, you know... Are, come back with the ring and throw it into the mountain or whatever the fuck that <laughs> fucking story is about. Once you have done that, how kick-ass is that? And that's what a role play allows you to do. It allows you to have a story with a beginning and a middle and an end. Right, right. How often do you get that in life? Right. You rarely. <laughs> I mean, that's why we do that. You know, it, it goes back to what you were saying before about risk and danger. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of things that people do all the time. People are, you know, people are adrenaline junkies. People are thrill seekers. People want tests of their own endurance, you know, in lots of, and there are ways that culturally we're taught that it's okay to do those yeah. and ways that we're taught to be ashamed of our impulse to want to do it. So really role players are, you know, is people who want, you know, you, you, when you have this certain context of the beginning and the middle of the end, where you're doing something really risky and dangerous, but you know you're going to survive it. Yeah. You know you're going to survive it because 
you have context because you have a safety net because that fear that you're feeling is the same fear that you that you feel when you go to a scary movie mm-hmm. you know the same you know a- adrenaline rush even though that you're not the one who's like going into the dark basement or you know being right. tortured by aliens or whatever you you feel that that catharsis of pity and fear you feel that physically in your body it's one of the reasons that people like to go to horror movies mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um so you know, when we when we have that context, then we're able to then go back to our relatively ordinary, mundane lives and feel better about them. Yeah, it's just the way it is. Yeah. Role play as storytelling. I love this. The one place we can have a beginning, middle, and end. This is totally the shit I live for. So stay tuned for next week when we talk about some of Melina's favorite costumes and sexy roleplay experiences, including prancing around San Francisco like a very pretty pony. I hope you all celebrate all different kinds of love this February. See you next time for part two of Why Are People Into Roleplay with Melina Williams. I'm Tina Horn. Talk to you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.